The next case was presented by Dr. Charles Henderson to Dr. Kim. This gentleman was 54 when I first saw him, a practicing psychiatrist in Atlanta. Came from a very prominent medical family. Father was a psychiatrist who wrote some books. His brother's an internist. Another brother's a novelist with some best-selling novels. So a very literate family. His wife is director of performing arts at a very well-known private school in Atlanta. So a prominent family. He had had a history of smoking half a pack per day of cigarettes in his early years, about 20 years, and then quit. Smoked a pipe some, but had been 20 years cigarette-free when I first saw him. Presented with subtle onset of fatigue, decreased mental acuity, some clumsiness with fine motor skills. Was referred to a neurologist who obtained an MRI scan of his brain, which showed five different bilobar lesions. Chest x-ray was done, which showed a 2.5-centimeter right hilar mass. CT-directed biopsy of the mass showed large-cell carcinoma. What was his state of mind? He was worried, but was very aggressive. He wanted to do everything possible. He, in fact, soon after the diagnosis was made, went to Ed's institution for a second opinion and saw Bonnie Glisson, and she made a recommendation for exactly what I was planning to do anyhow, and so I went ahead and did that. So, Ed, what would you be thinking about for this patient? Well, you know, first thing first is you got to control the brain. And uh, obviously, we know it's a large cell carcinoma, a non-small cell variant is what I'm hearing. I didn't hear any other sites of metastatic disease. And there so, were none other. Right, so the brain, brain first, and let's get that control. Let's get his performance status back to where it needs to be. And then we can start dealing with the systemic aspects or other options. What would you be thinking about in terms of systemic options? Well, you know, if it were this year or maybe later this year, you might be thinking about adding bevacizumab to a chemo combination because of the fact that we have some data from ASCO that treated brain mets are okay. As Chuck alluded to, it was previous years, so probably if it was last year, you wouldn't be thinking about bevacizumab. Most of us thought it was safe, even despite the guidelines of all the overreaction with the bleeding and the cerebral bleeding, but I probably would not have put this person on bevacizumab a year ago. I might feel a little more comfortable now. And then platinum-based doublet. Which one? You know, if we're talking a year ago, my default was usually a carboplatin with docetaxel, I think, in light of some of the data that's out there. I wasn't sure about the subset with large cell and pemetrexid that had just come out this past year, and I don't think it was as good as the adenocarcinoma subset, but I really think any platinum-based doublet, and if he really wanted to be aggressive, that's when you start thinking whether you should use even cis, but most of the time we use carbo in these folks. So can you follow up with the patient? Sure. He received 30 gray of whole brain radiation. And then at the time, I gave him Taxol and Carboplatinum for six cycles. He had a partial response, tumor shrunk by about half. And then with uh, restaging and no evidence of any metastatic disease left, we went ahead and consolidated with radiation treatment to the chest and no further treatment. This fellow was aggressive in a number of ways. His partner, who's also a psychiatrist, was a Buddhist. And he ended up worshiping at the Buddhist shrine with his partner. The partner's wife is a practitioner of alternative medicine, so he took a lot of Chinese herbs and vitamins and a lot of things. He was trying to be as aggressive as he could from a multimodality kind of perspective. And actually, I just saw him last week, and his first diagnosis was in October of 1997. And he is still doing well, although he just moved to North Carolina. I'm going to match him up with Mark Sosinski's group for follow-up, but 10 and a half years out having presented with brain mets. So I thought you'd start you up with a little curveball there, Ed, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about alternative and complementary medicine, and how often do we see this kind of response just with our traditional anti-tumor strategies that we have? 
Yeah, so I think this is a great case to start off with. I assume they probably went full-dose radiation on him to 60 gray. Yeah, so non-palliative dose. You know, when you have single, I don't want to call it oligometastatic because that denotes maybe it's one lesion in one spot, but, you know, single sites, I've treated patients very similarly who have had two brain lesions or three brain lesions, and we always want to try and give the patient, especially one who's interested and knowledgeable, the benefit of the doubt. I think we need to do more of that in non-small cell lung cancer is to start thinking a little bit outside the box. Now, outside the box and cavalier are two totally different issues. The response to chemo, you know, this stems a lot from what we were talking in the think tank yesterday, is that we don't have any way to identify a patient who's going to do well or predict how they're going to do in response to chemotherapy. There are some miraculous responses and there are some that don't touch at all. And I have to remind people when they get past their first two cycles and we get a scan that shows response or stable disease that, okay, now we're in the ball game here because plenty of people, 30 to 40% will progress after two cycles of chemotherapy. I'm really glad he's doing well. And I kind of don't want to look at a lot of places on him either. I just want to follow a couple lesions because if they're asymptomatic bone mets or something, then I really don't care. You know, at this point, people want to do these whole body scans every time they show up. And I tell them, well, there's nothing we're going to do to prevent that. If it happens, it happens. And if it's a painful bone met, then you'll tell me your legs hurting and then we'll radiate it. Then they can start, you know, zolandronic acid. So those types of issues. Now you brought up the complementary medicine aspect, Neil, and that's, that's a really good question because my whole interest in oncology stemmed from prevention. I'm very interested in studying these agents and vitamins, and we can't forget that taxol and all these other things come from plants or derivatives and sea urchins or some of the you know, most potent chemicals that we can find. And I've had plenty of patients show up with, I had a woman who was taking Chinese herbs, uh, mostly mushroom-based, and she gave me the container and we looked at it and took a look. And I had a patient who came in with two garbage bags full of antioxidants that he was taking, and I thought that might be a little too much. My general approach to it is is that I would never exclude anything. Now, with the caveat, you know, shark cartilage had been hot for a few years, and people were ordering it off the internet, and they were charging you $500 per bottle for a 10-day supply. I said, you know, the issue is, is that shark cartilage may be a great compound, but I cannot tell you how much shark cartilage is in that pill you're taking. That was number one, 1%, 5%, etc. So a lot of deception goes on that way. Being a prevention person, heck, we're studying, you know, COX-2 inhibitors, green tea extract, you know, all these different things. You know, these are all things that are very interesting to study. However, what I do tell them is, because we've been burned with beta carotene and a few others in the past, if we're going down the route of traditional therapy, I prefer them not to be overly aggressive with these agents. If they're off therapy, radiation, chemo, do whatever you want. But while we're on therapy, I would not want to do anything to jeopardize the current therapy because we know, especially from the beta carotene story, that you can jeopardize treatment or have the wrong hypotheses about these vitamins. Steve, wearing my other hat as a hospice doc, I just had a patient taken off hospice after being on hospice for five years. (laughs) (laughs) This guy had a, a documented... No, you Adenocarcinoma of the lung. You allow 10%. Uh, mediastinal involvement, non-resected. He got, not by me, but he got chemo and radiation, refused any further treatment. The doc said, I think it was the VA sent him to hospice. How old is he? Uh, he's around 75. But anyhow, the VA sent him to hospice, and he agreed. And we said, you know, first they questioned me, did he really have the cancer? I said, <laughs> yeah, I showed him the pathology. 
and sent it for an X-ray. There's no visible anything. I said, listen, this guy doesn't need to be on hospice. He's, he hasn't deteriorated in five years. I've been seeing the guy for that whole length of time and saying, hey, you know, this guy's not getting any worse. <laughs>